0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times. Data with an absolutely loaded WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast with so much to cover today that we are not going to waste a lot of time with fun banter here in the opening of Getting Over. What I will tell you is this is our 40th episode of getting over that sounds absolutely insane to say 40 episodes in 103 days it's like 2.7 a week i've told you guys we are going to cover professional wrestling the right way on getting over and i feel like we are doing exactly that before we get to covering wwe this week you guys know what we need to talk about head on over to apple podcast wherever you listen to fine audio listen it takes like honestly 30 seconds five-star rating, and then you give a review, a couple kind words for The Silver King. Then Chris, you talk about how much you love The Tuesday Show, The Thursday, the instant analysis, the interviews. We bring it all for you here. And all I'm asking is a quick five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to me and it would really help the show. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at cast Chris Vanini back as my co-host today. You can follow him at Chris Vanini and you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. I mentioned there's a lot to get to. Normally I introduce Chris, we have a nice little fun talk. I'm not doing any of that. I'm jumping right into the main event. This is the main event. And Chris, welcome to the show. You know, after we taped our WWE episode last week, I'm really forgetting the day this happened. It may have actually been after I taped the Wednesday Night Wars episode as well. But WWE announced that Paul Heyman, who on this show we have been praising up and down uh, for the last few months, really, has been let go from the creative team with Bruce Pritchard now leading creative for both Raw and SmackDown with a combined team writing both shows. This is pretty major news, especially, I think, for this podcast where, you know, there's weeks where SmackDown had been better here and there. But really, for me, and it's something I'll repeat, I've said it a million times, you guys know, But since the new TV contracts came in around, you know, October 2019, but really starting in November that year, and especially since the start of 2020, for me, Raw has been far and away the better show. It spoke to what I liked as a professional wrestling fan, longer matches, a focus on talent, getting new people over. It's what Paul Heyman specializes at, and it's what Raw gave us. Meanwhile, On SmackDown, yeah, there were a couple bright spots and we talk all the time, at least I do, about how much I love the Bayley and Sasha stuff now. But for a long time, it was corny. The storylines were ridiculous. They took the championship off Fiend and put it on Goldberg. You know, now Braun Strowman's running around with the title and it's kind of not doing a really good job. So the news comes down and I'm dejected, man, because, you know, I don't know that everything that was happening on Raw was because of Paul Heyman, but there's no question that his fingerprints were over a lot of it. And I have a whole rant to go on about, you know, why it was tough for him and why I feel like the firing is probably unjustified, all things considered. But, you know, what were your initial thoughts when you heard this happen? Were you Was it concerned like, oh my God, here we go again? You have to remember, they announced these executive directors, Eric Bischoff for SmackDown, Paul Heyman for Raw. Bischoff lasted like a month and a half. Now, Heyman, yeah, he did last about nine months, and that's pretty good. But here we are with Bruce Pritchard, Vince McMahon's right hand man, Um, his yes man, many people would say, and that's not to discredit or crap on Bruce, but now back in charge of the entire creative product. So this is where we're at. What do you think of how this transpired?
1: Yeah, it was concern, confusion. And yeah, I thought back to Bischoff and Heyman and all the fanfare around that, how it didn't last very long. And now we're back. Now that's. Now that's not even happening. I, I, I couldn't help but think of all the strange things we've seen on SmackDown over the past few months. Tag team matches for singles belts, singles, right. uh, singles matches for tag team belts. And lo and behold, we get that once again here <laughs> in the very first Pritchard episode of Raw. And there were a there were we'll get into Raw and I think overall it was a good episode. But there were a lot of like, oh, this is something SmackDown would do. Yes. Uh, moments yes. on it. And, you know, you know, Pritchard, obviously, you know, he's been around WWE forever on and off. And, you know, he's been in wrestling for an incredibly long time. But Heyman just always you, you always know when it's Heyman because, you know, there's an edge. You know, he's trying to hide faults and, and promote strengths for certain people and give a shine to people who don't normally get that. And that was refreshing. And yet, even without a crowd, the past few months of Raw have been pretty good, probably better than the previous six months or so. And I think they really they (laughs) really found something. And and now they're pulling the plug and it's uh, very frustrating. Yeah.
0: And we will see how much has changed. But what I want to do and look, we don't know the behind the scenes machinations of what's going on. And honestly, even people who do report on WWE, the Meltzer's of the world, the Mike Johnson's, the Sean Ross saps, all those guys, and many of them do a very good job. They know a lot of what happens behind the scenes, but they don't know everything. They don't know the, you know, the intimate details of the meetings Vince may have with Paul Heyman, and and you know what talent may actually say about Heyman's creative direction, and and you know, so we don't know all of those things. But I can tell you from a third party perspective, what I saw. What I saw was that Raw and SmackDown split up their rosters, and you know, created that full division uh, with the draft as it always should have been. They never should have done the Superstar Shakeup, and when they did that. SmackDown took the big names, the names that Fox wanted to sell their new network show. SmackDown is the A show right now. There is no two ways about it. I mean, they're the A show in terms of how Vince McMahon sees them, maybe not in actuality. For me, Raw will always be the A show just based on it was first, it existed forever. But Paul Heyman was tasked with basically starting a roster, not from scratch, but using he had Becky and he had Seth but he had a lot of other things that he needed to kind of build from the ground up. And he also had people who suddenly, because of the pandemic or because they were falling out of favor with the company, were now unavailable for Raw. So SmackDown, they took the Braun Strowmans and the Roman Reigns and so on and so forth. And who did Raw ultimately get uh, when things got tough, especially? They got Angel Garza and Austin Theory and Apollo Cruz. And yes, Shayna Baszler was built up for a, you know, a uh, uh, WrestleMania match, and, and they did a fine job, I guess, with that. And then Bianca Belair, kind of just afterthought, after the fact. And then they're realizing, hey, the ratings are kind of not doing great right now. What are we going to do? Well, on, on SmackDown, the show that's doing well, we're going to give them AJ Styles. And you know what? We're also going to give them Matt Riddle. And who did Raw get? No one so far. I mean, there is rumors, certainly, that someone will be coming there. Then, after all that happens, and I guess before Riddle and Styles, Raw's top star, Becky Lynch, unexpectedly gets pregnant, throwing a wrench in the plans completely. So you have Paul Heyman tasked with developing new stars because Fox wanted the current ones, and he began doing it with Alistair Black and Andrade. Again, Angel Garza and Apollo Crews is now U.S. champion. And somehow in doing all this, Heyman still managed to put on a better show on Raw than SmackDown was every single week. Yeah, ratings have gone down for Raw, no question about it. But they also went down for SmackDown. The difference is SmackDown is on network television and Raw is on cable. And that's what happens when you take a show like Raw and you say, guess what? You need to build an entirely new roster. Some people you were counting on are not going to be available. And there's a pandemic going on. They were so void of heels on Raw, dude, that... Before this Bobby Lashley situation started happening, when Jinder Mahal came back, they were thinking of using him in this spot. And I'm gl- I'm glad, you know, I don't I'm I don't want him to be hurt. It sucks that he's hurt again, he hurt his knee. But Bobby's obviously doing a great job here. So if ratings was the logic by which Heyman was fired, that's a stupid decision on Vince McMahon's part. If it was people not getting over, well, there's no crowd to tell you whether people are getting over. And he's working with fresh faces. I'd also disagree with that. I think they've
1: gotten a lot of people over. Oh, I do.
0: I I do, too. I mean, Angel Garza, I think, is totally over. And Apollo Crews has totally new life. Um, But this is not to say, by the way, and I'll let you talk now, this is not to say that everything was perfect. Raw did not do a great job promoting its shows and announcing matches and lineups ahead of time. uh, Heyman did occasionally weave some storylines together over the course of shows. We saw that with uh, Zelina Vega's group, but they were relatively predictable despite, you know, things occasionally in terms of that regard, weaving storylines through an entire episode being better on SmackDown. So here's where we stand now. Uh, Paul Heyman gone. All the great things I just talked about, all the successes that he's had basically swept under a rug and said, hey, you know, yeah, he did accomplish those things, but none of that means anything because the ratings are slightly going down and we're going to find out what happens now with, with, you know, Bruce Pritchard now in charge of both shows.
1: Yeah, it's, it's ratings are down. We know that, but it's, it's not like SmackDown was doing great and you wanted to bring that over. SmackDown was having plenty of its own problems too. And Paul Paul Heyman, you know, there there were problems with Paul Heyman, the whole Bobby Lashley, Lana Rusev thing, you know, there, there were, there were, you know the Viking Raiders, three profits were hit and miss at times. Um at least I think. And um <laughs> <That's honest>. <laughs> <laughs> but overall he makes people feel important. We 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 had factions. You have Drew McIntyre doing great work. You have Seth Rollins doing great work. Uh Buddy Murphy's getting a new push. Just just he has he's Jordan, already, the entire had, Jordan feud. Yes. Always going back to his ECW days. It's always been his his thing is that you, you hide the flaws, you accentuate the strengths and you make everybody feel like a big deal and you don't have weird stuff like like had been going on at SmackDown for so long. So we'll have to see how this goes over time. I think through a backlash and a raw, we're already kind of seeing it. And, you know, again, I don't know what was behind it. We're not on the inside. But if it's solely a ratings thing, then promoting Pritchard doesn't make any sense, really. I mean, right. It, exactly. It, it, it's just if you want to go in a different direction, That's something I just I don't know what you're supposed to expect with 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 what uh, with what you're working with here. And it's been a pretty good show for a number of months. We've talked about it, how it's been better than we expected. You actually had to talk about how you were not being overly positive with (laughs) as it came to Raw related to AEW and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, just real real strange. I mean, look, I I think Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon
0: are not necessarily two, they're two alphas really, right? And they're two guys who really long-term are not going to work well together. Every time Paul Heyman has worked for WWE in something beyond an on-screen persona, he has been fired or let go of that position. this is like three times that's now happened. So it was It's
1: like Billy Martin. It's like Billy Martin and George Steinbrenner.
0: It is. It very much is. And so it's not a surprise that this was eventually going to happen. I think the surprise is that it happened now and that Paul, at least to me, it feels like they were using him as a scape- scapegoat, and that's pretty unfair to him. And I will say, you know, I've spoken with Paul. I've interviewed him a couple of times, and it's so tough to break down that barrier and get him to just talk real. But one day, man, you know, before all is said and done, I I would be very curious about this time in his career because for him to go from having not done much of this to now doing it, you know, leading creative for a major program in a, in a significant way. I am kind of curious to see how the machinations work backstage and, and how he was treated and you know whether he thought he succeeded or failed at this job. And let's not forget, even when he was just Brock Lesnar's advocate and he was backstage at Raw, you would hear endless stories from superstars talking about how he helped them with their promos and characters. Mm-hmm. How he, how he changed their careers. And I interviewed Aleister Black a few weeks ago. By the way, the interview is still very good and green, and it's on this episode of, uh, I mean, on this podcast feed. Uh, and Alistair Black credited Paul Heyman with so much of what's gone on with his character and, and how it's developed and having patience with him, allowing him to build this arc that, you know, Alistair Black wasn't even on Raw Monday night. That's something we'll talk about later. So, I, you know, it is a little bit depressing. And by the way, we talked about all the things that Paul Heyman did right. You know what else he did right? The entire Drew McIntyre Brock Lesnar feud, and he got Drew McIntyre over as the company's number one babyface about six months after he was just another guy on the roster. And he, right he now, he got Drew. He got Drew over in a way that they couldn't get that they couldn't get Roman over. Exactly. Well, I mean, they did get Roman over, but not with hundred percent of the fans. There is basically no one who doesn't like Drew right now. Right. He is a cool, badass face who's not stupid, doesn't take shit. He's the guy that you want leading the company. And Paul Heyman succeeded, succeeded in making that happen. So it is disappointing ultimately for me that this all went down. But if we're going to be honest, I watched Raw on Monday night and it was a good show. It was mm-hmm. a very good show. It was as good as any Heyman run show. That Now that doesn't mean next week's will be and the following weeks. but. I loved that we had storylines that weaved through the entire show. The Orton and Christian thing. Well, again, we're going to talk all about, about all this in greater detail later, but Orton and Christian, it was three parts over the show. The McIntyre Lashley stuff was four different parts involving our truth. Even the women's tag team situation was two segments as opposed to just jamming it all together in one. He maximized, Um, he meaning um, uh, Bruce Pritchard here or whoever did creative maximized the appearances of Big Show. He was in three segments. Ric Flair was in three segments. We saw MVP all over the show, talking to Lana, Lashley, R-Truth, Apollo Crews, Shelton Benjamin, right? And there was some interesting booking as well. They also announced three major segments for next week in the women's tag team titles, the Raw tag team titles, and Rey Mysterio making his return to the show. So there was a lot of really good stuff that happened on Raw Monday night. But of course, we did get shorter matches. That Cruz-Benjamin match would have gone far longer under Paul Heyman. Uh, there was no Aleister Black on the show whatsoever. He's been a featured guy. Uh, Umberto Carrillo, once again, not there. Now, granted, I understand they were doing something different with Dominic, and we'll see if those guys maybe show up next week with Ray on the show. Dominic, you know, presumably there as well. Um, and I guess they may have even taped already for next week's Raw. I think they taped two shows on Monday. So we'll see what happens next week. But I mean, if this leads to Alistair Black suddenly not being there, you guys know he's one of my favorite wrestlers. That is not something I'm going to like. But I guess, Chris, my point is that, you know, for all the doom and gloom that I had, Raw delivered on Monday. And if it keeps going in that direction, then, hey, maybe Heyman just set a course that was so strong that it's tough to kind of knock it off. Or
1: maybe this ends up being a decent decision. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it picked up and carried forward a lot of the things that Heyman had been leading already so that that's a good sign a lot of those things you mentioned were were good it was a a, a good show that had stuff going throughout the night which has long been a problem and promoting for next week a lot of the things we've complained about in the past so that was all good I think the I think my bigger question is more two months from now you know how do they start the next feuds how do they get into the next stories how do they try to bring up somebody new and promote them in a different way so that's what we'll kind of have to see. In the long term, and you mentioned—I uh, I noticed last night that last night's show wasn't live. What do you know? What the schedule is? How they're doing this? Are they going back to mostly tape shows? Well,
0: th- that kind of leads into our next segment here about their taping being delayed. But yeah. um, they—it seems like they are taping, taping to live, basically, or sorry, live to tape. I guess is how they is the, the actual term. I think they're doing live to tape on Monday with then taping the following show immediately after it. So basically, they tape both shows in the afternoon. They air one live that night, which is what we saw Monday, and then the next one the following Monday. um, I believe on Tuesdays, I thought they were doing SmackDown, the same thing, taping two, airing one this upcoming Friday, then one the following Friday. And then NXTs, I assume they would just do on Wednesday because it's a different facility. Uh, And then everyone's gone Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, through another week. I believe that's the taping schedule, but it has been so different every single time. I mean, Raw last night, it did feel live, so that was fine. But last week's shows, they both felt taped to me, even though, uh, you know, I did think Raw was good and SmackDown was pretty good, too. They just felt like there's a lack of urgency. You can tell the crowd is extra tired because they've been there for a long period of time. So it it does kind of wear on you a little bit to, to see everything be taped when, you know, yeah, AEW at least is doing one live show and then taping other ones around it, it seems. I kind of wish they would go to that, but look, precaution is the key here. And at no time does WWE need to be more cautious than now. This is the second part of our five-part main event today uh, with a WWE developmental talent testing positive for coronavirus, the first wrestling talent that we know of on WWE or AEW to test positive for COVID-19. This came out about 10.45. WWE made a release at 11 o'clock right as Raw went off the air. Uh, This person was last at the Performance Center on June 9th. They experienced symptoms a few days later. There was a taping, by the way, on June 9th. WWE said in the release it will test everyone who was there for that taping for COVID-19 Today, as we're taping this show on Tuesday, there was originally taping scheduled for Tuesday. They have been postponed. Um, the WWE said it will resume tapings once all the test results are in. So that could mean that maybe Wednesday they do NXT, Thursday SmackDown. We'll see what happens. Hopefully this did not spread. But the far reaching, you know, complications here and things that we need to talk about. And it's a conversation we have not had for weeks because really, really. Out of luck, I would say, WWE has been pretty lucky that they haven't been doing coronavirus tests and no one's really had it, at least no one that has had symptoms that they know about. Um, So now the question is, these temperature checks and wellness exams that WWE has been providing to everyone, is that enough going forward, Chris? And, you know, I'm leaning towards no. And I think if they try to say that their next sets of tapings are not going to have coronavirus tests, I think they're going to receive... Some pretty heavy criticism, even though they probably should have been
1: receiving it all along. This is the question around all of sports right now. You know, you have college football players coming back to campus um, and a place where they didn't get tested upon return was the University of Houston and six players tested positive uh, symptomatic. And the University of Houston had to shut down their voluntary workouts now. Which is
0: insane, by the way, because Texas is one of like the highest rising states
1: in terms of daily cases and positives. Yes. And especially as is Florida, the, and especially way. around the yeah, especially around the Houston area. And right. most colleges have tested everybody upon return and gone from there. WWE is in a different situation where you have people coming back every week. Um, but yeah, this this was bound to happen at some point, And now we need to see how they handle it. Um I I couldn't help I couldn't help but find this to be an incredibly strange coincidence or just whatever with the timing. But right as I think it was Ryan Satin first had this report last night, it was right when they were explaining on Raw that because Christian Edge was an unsanctioned match, WWE cannot be held liable (laughs) for anything that happens right as this news dropped. I just it was complete coincidence. I chuckled at that. But it kind of reminds me because, you know college football players are being asked to sign liability waivers and you expect fans will probably be when things come back and other athletes uh, as well. MLB is trying to do something. So this is the real world sneaking back up on pro wrestling. It was always going to be the case. And you got to hope everybody's going to be okay. And you realize that, you know, putting up plexiglass is is not enough to simply uh, fix us.
0: Well, no, I mean, it might have been if you don't have the street profits running into the crowd, slapping high fives with a bunch of real fans who are randomly there on Monday night. And you don't have Dominic Mysterio run in and then out through the crowd. If you actually keep it separate, then yeah, it can work. But WWE, they've had the plexiglass for three weeks. We've already seen it broken twice. We've seen people run through it multiple times. We've seen the people from the plexiglass run into the ring to break up. I think it was Lashley and Drew McIntyre a couple of weeks ago. So what's the point of having the plexiglass and doing this show that you're trying to keep everyone separate? when they're not gonna be wearing masks, number one, and when you're gonna have them heavily involved in the show itself anyway. The, you know, I'm not saying that AEW doesn't do this. Yeah, people get thrown into that crowd as well, into their other wrestlers, and they do have a a segment of friends and family back there as well, but at least they give them the option to wear masks. In WWE, the fact that these people are not wearing masks, from the beginning I said it, it's ridiculous. Look, this entire, and I'm not gonna get on a, and this shouldn't even be a political thing but I'm not going to get off on a rant about this totally, but masks prevent coronavirus. When two people are wearing masks, it's like 99% that one person won't be able to transmit it to the other. And we're not talking about N95s. We're talking about regular PPE, cotton masks that you can cover your face with because it prevents the transmission somewhat on one end and it prevents someone acquiring it on the other end. So like people that are railing against like uh, food stores, you know, grocery stores, or 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 clinics, or whatever the case—not clinics, targets, you know, whatever—for um, having you must wear mask policies just to get in, it's absurd to me. It's it's the most insane thing. And I, I it, guess what people, if you're going to start going to sporting events, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. You're going to be signing waivers, or there's going to be a sign that says once you proceed through these doors, you're waiving your right to sue us for negligence regarding coronavirus. They may potentially make you wear masks. They may make you sit three seats apart. They may leave total rows empty. I don't know what they're going to do at all these venues, but there's going to be fans at events because the United States of America is, is in IDGAF mode about all of this. And I don't necessarily think that WWE or AEW should stop having fans or crowds or wrestlers out there, but they should be taking the utmost precaution when doing so. WWE and AEW both... Literally sell face masks on their stores. They're giving away t-shirts, WWE, to all these people that are in the crowd. So why aren't they giving them face masks also? Sell a shit ton of those things. I want. Guess what, dude? I guarantee if you saw five people in that crowd wearing the fiend face mask, which is pretty freaking cool, (laughs) people are going to be buying, oh my God, that's awesome. I can get that on WWE shop. They're going to go buy it. So give these people face masks. You know, WWE was never going to avoid a positive coronavirus test. No one is. The NFL has had them, tons of teams. And guess what they do? They take the people away, they test everyone, and everyone else continues working. That's how this is going to have to go if you want society to be opened up. So no, I don't really criticize WWE necessarily for getting a positive coronavirus test. What I criticize them is for not taking the proper precautions this entire time.
1: I think it's ridiculous. So go ahead. Yeah, and you mentioned everybody who's in that crowd should be wearing masks. And if Vince McMahon doesn't like the visual of that. Just don't show the close up crowd shots that we don't really care about anyway. Right. They're just there to provide noise. We don't really need anything else. And and
0: by the way, like it's it's the other thing that WWE hasn't considered about this crowd thing. And this is not coronavirus related, but everything's black. Like so the the barricades are basically dark gray. The floors are black. The background's black. And everyone in the crowd is wearing black T-shirts. So you can't really see them. So I know that's WWE shop, and I know almost every wrestling shirt is black. There's very few exceptions. Give these people blue and white and red shirts, let them stand out as individuals in the crowd, and it will make it feel more like a crowd. But there's really no good reason for these people not to be wearing masks. And there's no good reason from the beginning, not the beginning, but from about mid-May onward at least, there's no good reason that WWE has not been doing coronavirus tests. A source told me, a source close to WWE, They had not been doing them because their medical professionals, the doctors and the trainers on site, approved of temperature readings and questionnaires as a legitimate way to basically find out who was potentially symptomatic and would be the most dangerous of the carriers. Um, The other thing that I was told is that WWE did not feel the tests were either reliable enough or rapid enough to make it worthwhile. My contention is why not do both? Why not do the tests? Let's say they're 50% correct, right? You do the tests, you do the temperature readings and you do the questionnaires, and you put all of that together for the doctor on site to make a judgment of whether a person is allowed in a facility. It may not still be 100% you know, perfect, but at least it would be better than not doing them at all. So there was a good excuse early on where tests were not available readily to the public and they needed to be hoarded for hospitals and for people that were really sick. That is no longer the case. Tests are now readily available for public and private enterprise, and WWE needs to really step up and start doing them. They have no choice, in my opinion, right now. It, it, it's ridiculous. And by the way, I mentioned briefly that this all comes as WWE is finally allowing, quote unquote, real fans into the performance center. It seems to be friends and family of the talent. They were signing liability waivers, which, again, people made a big deal about that. But of course, that's when, what's going to happen. Um and Dave Meltzer is reporting they were literally not allowed, like like we said earlier, by Vince McMahon to wear masks. So for me, you know what I'm going to go with. Zero point zero. For Vince McMahon here. And look, my hope, and I, I hate that it came to this dude, but my hope is that this opened their eyes a little bit. And they said, you know what? we We took precautions. We got away with it. Luckily, never closing, never stopping taping shows. Somehow WWE got away with it. Um, without major damage in terms of you know, actually like people getting sick and stuff. This is now June. This started in March. It's time to test everyone and do it, do the best job you possibly can to protect your employees, your talent, and any fans you might let into your facility.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean it was this time was bound to happen and uh hopefully that they've had a plan in place for it to happen. And this is this is what every sport is dealing with and trying to prepare for. So uh gotta get things in order. All right, so let's move on. Let's go back to talking about wrestling
0: because we spent the first basically 30 minutes of the show talking about everything that goes down outside the ring. Uh, On Monday night, dude, and really Sunday night too, but Randy Orton said something to me personally. He looked into the screen. He said, hey, Adam, hey, Silver King, why are you not giving me legitimate consideration for 2020 wrestler of the year? And I'm going to tell you, man, after Raw on Monday night, And after the greatest wrestling match ever on Sunday, I think I think Randy Orton has surpassed Drew McIntyre for me. And through June, halfway through the year is my 2020 wrestler of the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, not not only for not only necessarily what he's doing. In the ring, but also out of the ring with his recent comments over to uh, everything. uh, Yeah. To CBS Sports about Colin Kaepernick and everything. Um, He's killing it in the ring. The matches have been far above typical Randy Orton level. His straight up promo work on the mic is great. And then his character work, the stuff he's doing in the ring that's not wrestling, the the getting in someone's ear, the facial expressions. He is... He is hitting it. He is hitting on all cylinders. And this is the potential, the great Randy Orton we've always been told uh, about. It's always been, hey, is Randy motivated? He's motivated right now. And we're seeing how good he can he could always be. This is as motivated as he's
0: been since the Legend Killer gimmick, where he was taking down Mick Foley and running through legends and becoming the Randy Orton who would eventually be WWE champion now, or I forget, maybe it was World Heavyweight Champion, but that run wasn't necessarily that solid once he had the title. But on the way up to it, when they were building this despicable, really piece of shit character, you know, this guy, that's what he's become again. He's reignited the legend killer. He's gloating. He's taunting. And yes, it's the promos. It's the backstage segments with Charlie Caruso. It's the match quality and what he's actually doing in the ring, and we haven't seen too much of that, of course. But you know, everyone when they talk about wrestler of the year, they default to Kazuchika Okada or Kenny Omega or Tetsuya Naito or Adam Cole or whoever the case. But wrestling to me is about so much more than what happens in the ring. It's the entire persona. It's the gimmick. It's the promos. It's keeping kayfabe. It's everything. And Randy Orton, I mean, he set up the Smarks, the the internet wrestling community. He, we talked about it on our instant analysis of Backlash. He set them up by criticizing NXT and talking about leg slaps and multiple false finishes to give us multiple false finishes with a leg slap to end that match. It's next level shit, man. And yeah, it even goes to his real life persona. It does. Maybe it's affecting me. I don't give a shit. Him, the trolling stuff that he did about signing with AEW, and that yeah. may have been more 2019 than 2020. Um, But that stuff, the... Hey, I just bought an effing plane stuff. Uh, His social total turnaround, one eighty from this Missouri guy who, you know, historically throughout his entire career has been conservative at a minimum, and you know potentially more than that, to having this really realization with a light bulb going off. And yeah, the interview with CBS Sports is absolutely incredible. Following up on his Black Lives Matter tweet, so. You know, maybe that's factoring into it for me. But, dude, like I have gone from Randy Orton. Hey, yeah, he's been a great wrestler to a Randy Orton fan. And for you to do that and turn that switch at 40 years old to me, I mean, that means something. And Drew's doing great. And maybe it'll come down to Randy and Drew right now. I don't really think AEW necessarily has someone who can match up nor do I think NXT does, not in 2020. Maybe John Moxley in AEW, but we've we've seen so little of him that it's kind of tough to, to put him in a wrestler of the year category. But I believe it. I tweeted it from my account last night and a lot of people agreed. He is my dark horse candidate for wrestler of the year and we're halfway through the
1: year. And there's a yeah. lot of time left for him to do a lot more than what he's already done. Yeah, the, the, the only other candidate for me, I think, would be Drew McIntyre. And, you know, I, I talked about after... Sunday night, I was kind of ready for Orton Edge to be done, ready to move on for this. I think the Christian thing on Monday was a great follow-up, like, like the best possible follow-up you could do to that, given Edge got hurt and everything. Now, again, we're gonna have to see where this goes moving forward because now Christian's out of the picture. Edge is out of the picture. What is Randy gonna do next? What do they have planned for the next month leading up to extreme rules? I think you've got a setup here, depending on if Brock comes back or whatever the SummerSound plans are, where Randy has positioned himself. To be a, a, a challenger to Drew McIntyre. I think time, so, too. If you want to do that. So yep. you you kind of you, you, you got to get him there, though. You can't just kind of let him do promos and nothing for a month or two. So we'll have to see what's next. But he has been killing it when he's working with Christian, working with Edge. Now we'll see who he works with next and if he kind of brings the same energy.
0: So you actually kind of stole my thunder there with that. But that's fine because we're going to get to it. I want to talk about what happened on Raw. Um, You know, so obviously they advertised Christian for the show and we kind of said, oh, that's interesting. You know, why would Christian be there? Certainly we knew about they also announced Edge's injury, his triceps injury, which I tried to spoiler alert on instant analysis, but triceps injury for Edge out four to eight months. So you're talking about probably Royal Rumble return, you know, most likely for Edge that takes him out of SummerSlam. It takes him out if they were planning to do that final match at SummerSlam between these two. It kind of negates that possibility. But you know, Christian's out there and Orton kind of challenges him to an unsanctioned match. I loved that he said that his challenge expires at the end of the show. That's smart. It's a really good hook to keep people on there. Yep. I I also liked Christian while he was mulling it over backstage, having the big show come, give him thoughts and advice. We'll talk about him a little bit later show, Uh, but calling him Jay using his real name, just like Orton was referring to edge as Adam, you know, kind of breaking that fourth wall, breaking that kayfabe yet. Make, telling the audience, hey, this is serious. It's not just you know about wrestling. Um, I also liked Christian kind of coming out in the middle of the show to accept. And you're not just waiting for it at the end of the show. That was really smart. Again, we're talking about some really good booking things they did. Flair, because he was there being backstage, trying to change Christian's mind. That was smart too. Um, and I thought the booking for that final segment, dude, was pretty solid. Flair coming out there, you're like, what the hell is Rick Flair doing? doing like he shouldn't be in the ring because it's Rick, you know, like he's you know we know all the health problems he's had recently. Um quick aside before I continue. Rick Flair has gained since he was at his lowest weight coming out of that surgery. He looks like he's gained 50 pounds. He's walking well. He's old obviously, but he seems to be decently spry running around. He cut a couple good things backstage, so I was really happy to see Rick looking as good as he did. But um and, and then he Classic Ric Flair, classic shithead Randy Orton, low blow, Orton with the punt kick and the one, two, three. I did expect a quick resolution to this and did not expect that we were going to get Christian's return match after all these years away in the main event of Raw. People were complaining, um, but I thought it made totally set, to- total sense to me,
1: and I just loved the way they played it out. So I, I remember years ago, maybe like five years ago or something, Christian wanted to come back and WWE basically wouldn't clear him. And and he thought he still had something in the tank and he didn't. And then a few years later, it seemed like he accepted it, said he wasn't going to come back, talked about it on his podcast and stuff like that. So they got me with that hook of, oh, is Christian going to, going to wrestle? And it was, a it ended, you know, it's, it's bad that the situation had to come up, but it, it turns out to be a great, Follow up to the Peep Show a week ago because it's not random that Christian has showed up and is doing this. He was just there talking to Edge. He's been involved in this whole thing, so that all worked out from a a story perspective. You're right; it was a great hook throughout the night to keep me wondering if it was going to happen. And then when Christian's coming out at uh, uh, 10:50 or whatever it was, and you realize, okay, this is not going to be a a very big thing. What's going to happen? Did not expect that randy rick flair low blow at all and we should have of he's course the dirtiest player in this game he's rick flair yep and we were still stunned that he did something heelish and turned on somebody i mean uh, th- this must be this must be what it's like to be sting and rick flair always turns <laughs> on you and yet you always <laughs> yeah. give him another shot because you think maybe maybe it's different this time and it's not and never.
0: Yes. Uh, 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 he's uh, never uh, the
1: good guy No, you think he is <laughs> uh in another great punt loved what Randy was saying to Christian as he left, and uh, just really well done all around. I gotta say, this reminded me of one of my favorite moments of wrestling over the last ten years, or the the years that I was away and went back and watched some stuff. Was when Christian won his first world championship after Edge had to drop the title. He had that ladder match at Extreme Rules uh, against Alberto Del Rio. Edge distracts with the Jeep. Christian wins. Really. Sentimental moment, you know, seeing those those guys hug and Edge being happy for Christian to finally get to this, uh, get over this hump. Really cool moment. I love Christian's theme. Still, I, I still think it's a really good uh, intro song. Gets me excited. So this kind of played off of that. Edge had to go away. Christian is there to defend his honor and try to do something for Edge. Obviously, it didn't work out this time uh, like it did before. And uh, just really like that all around. So.
0: Uh, being honest, I uh, have never liked Christian at all. And the stuff you're talking about with him winning the world title, that's when I was not watching. So maybe I missed the time where they finally gave him the push and maybe he won people over there.
1: But and actually I'm, and actually he did. He did win the title again and have a feud with Orton, uh, which they didn't really reference here. I don't think they really need to. It wasn't all that. Important. No, they kind, of, they, they kind of alluded to it a little bit. They did. So. So, yeah. So there was one thing I would have changed, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I forgot I wanted to say this was I, I kind of wish Orton had uh, hyped up Christian throughout the night to convince him to fight. Because at the very end of the promo for the match, uh, Randy says Christian is a legend and, and you know I'm, I'm the legend killer and stuff like that. And Christian's not in the Hall of Fame. And that's been a, a point of debate for a while. It, he, it took a long time for him to get a singles push. It basically came be, came because Edge had to step away. So th- there's always that kind of dynamic. I feel like you could have even played into that. You could have had Randy Orton say, hey, Christian should be a Hall of Famer. He's like throughout the night. He He should. You know, he's a legend. And that gets Christian's confidence up to accept that challenge and then you do the end. I I think it worked the way it was. I think that's another way you could have added to it a little bit more to kind of go through Christian's thought process to see why he feels like he can do this. And then you realize that absolutely no, he cannot. That's how I've always felt about Christian, though. It always felt like when Edge wasn't there, they had Christian. And yeah.
0: he he just to me, like, like, look, his name was Captain Charisma. I don't think he has much of that. Uh, I, I, I never bought him as a main eventer. Um, I know that he succeeded doing that when he left WWE and I guess went to TNA and then WWE brought him back and that's when they made him champion, what you're talking about. But I never got it. I assumed that TNA made him champion because he was a big name from WWE and it made sense. Uh, uh, You know, big fish, small pond type situation. Um, But I've never bought into the greatness of Christian. I don't like his theme. I don't like. uh, Oh, man, I love it. I I don't I don't like uh, the peep show and the peeps and all that stuff is annoying to me. Uh, I've just never liked him. And as a person, I'm sure he's a totally good guy. So this has nothing to do with him as a person. But as a wrestler, he's not my cup of tea and never has been. Yet somehow on Monday night, I was interested in what he did. I I was interested to see where this might go. And they delivered because of Randy Orton. And for all the stuff I talked about earlier of how this transpired, what really sold it and what really clicked in my head about Orton being wrestler of the year to this point Was the end. The punt kick is so sadistic of a move. You think about it, you're literally trying to knock someone's lights out and concuss them and not just win the match, but take them out of action for a long period of time. And the way Randy Orton sells it every time back when he used to do it. And now he's immediately contrite. Mm -hmm. He does it. And even though he's a sick son of a bitch, he sells it so well. Like it's almost an out of body experience for him that he gets so sadistic and so mentally crazed, the voices in his head playing into his theme, that he just does this thing. And then as soon as he does it, he snaps back to reality and goes, oh, my God, I'm a terrible person. But at the same time, it was necessary for me to do it. And you saw that play out with him begging the medics to take good care of Christian. If you moved over to Raw Talk, which if you didn't, you should, because it wasn't just a great Seriously, great episode of Raw Talk on the network, but they continued this angle at the start of it. You saw more of Randy Orton and Christian. He's bending down while Christian is on the stretcher, whispering to him, alternating between actually caring about him as a friend and then trash talking him. He said something along the lines of, get cleared by a half dozen doctors like Edge and come face me. Like, that's sadistic shit, right? So what Randy Orton has done from a character perspective his entire career But particularly when he does the punt kick, it is a different level of character to me. And this is where I want to take it because you mentioned it already earlier. Like I said, you stole my thunder a little bit. But you can easily book this for Randy Orton to face Drew McIntyre for the title at SummerSlam. And I got to tell you, if you're going to have someone beat Drew McIntyre currently on the Raw roster, and it's not Brock Lesnar because... Let's be honest, we, we really don't need Brock Lesnar back. And we, when he is back, we certainly don't need him as champion. He is the best option because that punt kick can ground anyone. It doesn't matter what size they are by, by taking their lights out. And I could totally 100% see a scenario where Drew McIntyre holds the championship until SummerSlam on the way. Maybe Randy Orton does take out Christian at, at Extreme Rules. Maybe they have a match there. Randy Orton wins the title at SummerSlam. Edge comes back at the Royal Rumble, wins the Royal Rumble. And you have Randy Orton versus Edge for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania in Los Angeles, assuming they're able to do it there. So I got to tell you, that is, and I know we always talk about, you want the WrestleMania moments to be for the new talent, not the old talent, especially not by that time, probably 47-year-old Edge and 41-year-old Randy Orton. And you want the winner of the Royal Rumble to, you know, to be a younger person who gets put over by it. And maybe they can have someone else on SmackDown win the Royal Rumble and Edge just comes back and challenges him, whatever the case. You can also do this entire thing with Edge coming back at the Royal Rumble at number 30 and eliminating Orton and they can restart their feud and go to WrestleMania again. My point is, if you're gonna have Drew McIntyre not carry that title until next year's WrestleMania, and you hopefully are not gonna bring Brock Lesnar back, just to randomly take it off him at a Saudi Arabia show or Survivor Series or whatever the case. Dude, Randy Orton is rolling to such a high level and degree right now that I think it makes all the sense in the world for him to be the one to beat Drew McIntyre for the WWE championship.
1: So I, I, I don't hate it. My only concern is I think about what, an eight-month Randy Orton title run leading into WrestleMania? Tough. And and he's tough. had he's had tough stretches where he's carrying the belt and it doesn't quite work. He, he, I, I always like him better as kind of that just in the shadows, doing his own thing type of deal. And he's the type of guy you don't need to put the title on him. But speaking of a, a Randy Orton title run, I'll think it back to when he was with the Authority and he had that really terrible Survivor Series match against the Big Show. But he brought the punt out for that. And that took everything up kind of another level. So what you're saying about the punt and what it means to that character and the way he goes about it, um, it, it, it's always been there. And that's certainly been the case over the last two weeks. You know, I don't know how you you I just I said earlier, Orton versus McIntyre at SmackDown Works. I don't know how you book it and and, and move forward from there, but. Giving McIntyre wins over legit guys, I think only adds to him, And I don't think it would hurt Orton if you ended up taking him off TV for a little bit or something like that. I don't know, but I, you I, I, could, you I, could I take him off TV, idea. but you could take him
0: off TV, but man, the momentum that he has right now, it would be a shame to waste it. and and it is, sometimes, you ha- sometimes you have sometimes you got to go with the hot hand and and you're right, dude. Maybe Orton carrying the title for eight months is too long. In fact, forget maybe it is we, we, that,
1: we, we get oversaturated with with Randy sometimes. He gets over. Uh, overshined uh, a bit, and it takes a lot away. He's better as that type of special attraction type of character, I think. But even
0: even if you had Randy win the title, you could have Drew win it back three months later. You could have him win it back in December. That way it shortens the title reign, it takes Randy out of the title picture, and then you figure out a different way to get Edge back. But I'm just saying, unless you're going to have Drew carry this title for a long time, right now on Raw, I really don't know who is there. They have sold the Claymore to be so devastating, and they have sold Drew... Not to be unstoppable, because Lashley almost stopped him, but to be a pretty devastating champion, a pretty solid, strong guy that to this point, you know, they need another a guy who you think can legitimately beat him. He already beat Rollins and maybe Rollins, you know, six months from now will be a different cat. But I think Randy Orton's that guy right now. And considering edges hurt and now your plans may have gotten changed. I just think it makes a lot of sense. Now, we do have a DM slide here. From Adam X Parsons at Adam X Parsons. And there are limited DMs on this episode because, as I said, it's already long and we still have a lot left to talk about. He says, Does Randy Orton bring back the punt kick for the first time in seven years? Extreme rules 2013 mean we may see more banned retired moves make their return back, such as the muscle buster, Owens package, pile driver, et cetera. I don't think so. Um, the punt kick was banned because of its connotation with CTE and concussions. And that was a huge deal in the NFL when that was removed. The muscle buster and the package pile driver are seen as legitimately dangerous, whereas that one was the connotation of danger, just like the stomp. They didn't like the idea of doing it, you know, given racial unrest in the country, although Rollins is still doing it. And, you know, things are a little bit different now. Um, They also don't call it the curb stomp anymore, which was not a good name to start with. So I don't really think we see some of those moves come back. But I did interview Samoa Joe about a year ago, and I did ask him about the muscle buster. And he did say to me that it's not that it was banned. It's just that he hadn't needed to use it yet. But when he did, we would see it. So look, Joe's not even wrestling right now. He is great, though. Uh, But nevertheless, I don't think we're going to see that anytime. Do you what do you think about this, Chris?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, we don't really need to see a number of those moves. They're not really relevant. It's not like Joe's wrestling. Right now, anyway, um, I I think the punt works when you use it in only certain situations like this, like knocking a guy out for eight months, um, Mm -hmm. something like that. It's not something we need to see all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't think we're going to see a lot of changes. I don't think we're going to see pile drivers back at all. Adam Cole does the Canadian Destroyer.
0: It's close enough to a pile driver, so... Let's just be happy that we have that. By the way, I cut this audio. I don't really have anywhere else in the show to play it. So I'm just going to play it now. But randomly on Raw during the ninja segment, which we will talk about, Samoa Joe was asked about, you know, ninjas and his experience with them. And he actually said this on Raw. It's one of the few treasures in life, boys. Ninja fighting, oh, it's an unparalleled experience. Wait, Joe, how do you handle a ninja fight? Well, I, I would, I would do a little bit different. I would let the go back, uh, take apart the power structure from the inside, and never speak it again to avoid legal prosecution. But that's beside the point. So, just a really funny aside that they <laughs> did during RAW. <laughs> I don't and, think I caught that. I don't think. Yeah, it was, line. it was, it was during the Street Profits, you know, that whole situation. Yeah. But here's what's really funny about it, and I am not a TNA viewer. I never was. I've never seen really a full episode, but. I was told afterward that there was a uh, basically a storyline they ran in TNA probably 10 years ago, maybe even a little further where Samoa Joe had to take time off, I think, for an injury. And he was walking like in the in the parking lot area. And just like on NXT with the the masked guys, the luchadors who have been kidnapping people, he got kidnapped into a white van by ninjas and he was gone for like 10 months. And then all of a sudden he came back on TV and they never mentioned it again. They never mentioned his kidnapping. They never told any type of storyline with it. They just literally kidnapped him. He went away. So what
1: Samoa
0: Joe Joe just did on Raw was wrap up a TNA (laughs) storyline from a decade ago. And Tom Phillips prompted him to do it. That is just top tier for me. You know, that is just absolutely it. It's fantastic. Okay, he's been killing it. Let's talk about let's talk. Do you want to talk about the ninja right now, then? Ah, uh, fine. Segment? I mean, we're look. We're in the main event, and that's not main event. But yes, we might as well just
1: get out of the way. Go for <laughs> it. I this is this is too much. I I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I you. I thought it was funny at Backlash. Like I said, I, I didn't like them bait and switching it. I thought it was funny, but too long at Backlash. But now it's done. Like let's have this championship match. They once again promoted to championship match and didn't deliver. And this is what I talked about. This is what the uh, thing I was concerned about with the writing changes that they. They do not know that they will not know how to end a story or just move on to something else. They just they don't know. Like, I've largely enjoyed the Viking prophets thing, but like, like, let's let's bring it home now. Let's kind of let's get forward with this. And I just I didn't get anything out of last night's deal other than now, apparently that Samoa Joe line. But uh, yep. So I, w- I I know I'm back and I know I'm back and forth on this. You generally don't like it, and we've had some disagreements on it. But I'm sure you're in agreement with me on this one. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Uh, I'm not <laughs> I'm not in agreement. So what?
0: I, I I am in agreement with the promotional stuff. If they are they've promised tag team title matches in two consecutive days on Sunday and Monday, and not delivered it, it's ridiculous. I got the reason they did it Sunday. I was able to excuse it because. They had another plan to do a cinematic thing, but they couldn't say advertised for the show is a cinematic thing with the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits. So they advertised the title match. They didn't deliver it. But at the end, they had ref Jess when she leaned over the dumpster say, hey, guys, you have a title match. They at least said that it was scheduled and they they let the fans in on that. Yeah, we didn't give it to you, but we didn't forget that we promoted it. This was all intentional. OK, so because of that, I let it go Sunday. But to advertise it then on the pay-per-view, you're going to get that match Monday and then not deliver it was absurd. I'm going to separate that from what we actually got on the show, because out of all, all of the Viking Raiders Street Profit segments that we've had, what happened Monday for me legitimately entertained me (laughs) and, and kind of popped me, because first you had them kind of teaming up Avengers-style, which is kind of corny, but you knew what they were doing. And it played off of Ivar summoning the turkey leg like it was Thor's hammer on Sunday. So I'm not a comic book geek or anything like that, but I at least appreciated what they were doing. Then, the stuff with the ninjas, is it ridiculous? Of course it is, but I did kind of like seeing that guy Jordan Um Almagavin, or I don't know how to say his last name, that seven-foot-three dude, who Big Show even put over on Raw Talk as being one of the few guys ever he actually has to look up to. So it was, it wasn't good, okay? But it was the best usage of the stupidity that I've seen so far. It was in a ring. They had a match. The Prophets and the Raiders worked well together. You saw some personality from the two teams as they worked together in the ring and outside the ring. And, It just worked for me. The Big Show showing up, I thought, was really stupid. But then when they showed him later backstage and he basically made their title match for next week and said, like, look, guys, how are you forgetting that your champions, your challengers just have the match already? It at least, again, kind of paid it off a little bit. So I have been criticizing this basically every single week. But to tell you I was not entertained by it on Monday, I'd be lying.
1: Yeah, I I mean... I have liked I've largely liked the skits because they've shown their personalities and stuff like that. And I was fine with the ninjas in a cinematic sense on Backlash. I didn't like the idea of the ninjas abiding by WWE rules for a match or something (laughs) like that. So like I I get wanting to see them in the ring, but I want to see them in the ring against each other. I thought the ninjas was a fine one off if the ninjas are going to be a faction or something. Now it's going to oh, be. Oh, yeah, they got to stop. Yeah. It- so like it's just like, OK, let's 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 go to the next step in the story now. You got two nights of ninjas. You got to calling them. You got to call Jordan
0: the big ninja. And if they want to do something with him and Tazawa, Yeah. And, and maybe I mean, it's going to be corny and stupid, but maybe it could potentially just be entertaining. And at least you're getting this guy on TV. He's a big dude. And just like Braun, they brought they put Braun on the main roster before he was at all ready to wrestle and he grew into something. So I'm okay to see what they do with him. Okay, back to main event topics. We have two more before we kind of get on with everything else and we're already an hour into the show. AJ Styles beat Daniel Bryan. I can't believe, like think about how much has gone on in WWE that we still haven't talked about this and we're an hour into the show. Styles beats Bryan for the IC title in a long featured SmackDown match. I meant to say in the backlash instant analysis, Chris, but it was tough sledding for Edge and Orton not only to be billed the greatest wrestling match ever, but to be aired two days after AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan gave us what I probably will rate like a 4.5 match. The buildup was awesome on SmackDown with the opening package that got across the significance of the title. It's history, all the people who have held it before. I thought ultimately Bryan probably should have won the match if I was booking it, but there was no wrong choice here. AJ Styles won clean. He was great in the moment. It was a decisive victory. That is what we want from a match of that caliber. You do not want some type of screw job finish. It was the first intercontinental title of his career. It makes a little bit more sense now that he was brought over to SmackDown for this match. Daniel Bryan sooner than later. Uh, I believe they're pregnant. Uh, they're due in, I think, July maybe. So not only will he be gone soon, but he'll be gone presumably for a few months. Uh, Maybe Drew Gulak kind of takes that mantle. We'll see what they end up doing. But ultimately, I guess putting it on Styles did make sense. The one thing I'll say is, I wish we could get a cut of this, the match in its entirety with no commercial breaks, nothing missing from it. I would love to see like this match in thirty-five minutes in all of its glory.
1: Yeah, that that kind of goes back to how much I just hate having commercials in the middle of matches because you don't get commercials in the middle of sports games. Um, I know sometimes they can do the picture in picture. They should do that more often. AEW does it all the time. Um, But uh, yeah, just really a hell of a match between two guys. You expected to put on a hell of a match. It got the, 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 my only, my only problem with it was that it wasn't the main event of the show, uh, which was, which was strange considering how much they had hyped this up. And it's honestly, other than the women, other than the women's tag, Probably the biggest thing going on SmackDown, um, but uh, it, w- it, w- it was everything you hoped for from these guys.
0: Fuck it, zero! You're you you're 100% right. It should have been the main event, and I believe this all the time. Title matches should be in main events, especially if your other main event is not great. Yeah. So on Raw, they had the women's ch- championship match. I was okay with it not being in the main event because they had Randy Orton and Christian in something they were hyping the entire night. But to t- But just like you said, to spend the entire episode leading up to the match, hyping the Intercontinental title match as a huge deal, and then main eventing the show with a basically a comedy six-man tag match with Otis and Braun Strowman and Tucker. That is dumb booking. And that is the stuff with Bruce Prichard that concerns me, that yeah. a decision like that is made. Whereas if Paul Heyman was booking that show, that Intercontinental Championship, given the hype, given everything, the build that they did for it, that would have main evented the show. You're, you are 1,000% correct. Let's move back to Raw and talk about the continuation of the Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley story. This is the last major topic, then we'll do some quick hitters on the way out. Um, I thought they did a good job not having Drew be the gullible baby face who was goaded into another title match and instead having R-Truth do it. I, people gave this some criticism because they felt like Drew was kind of taken down a peg, by going with our truth but to me, it just enhanced his character that, yeah, you have this badass face who takes no prisoners and and beats the shit out of people, but sometimes you want to juxtapose him with a a comedic character. You saw it with Steve Austin. They would do it with Mankind. They would do it with a ton of people where maybe he wouldn't be in a match like this, but you would be able to see the lighter side of them. Uh, Steve Austin and Kurt Angle uh, worked very well together in that regard. So I had no problem with him teaming up with R-Truth. I thought they had solid back and forths um, backstage between the teams with MVP kind of goading them, R-Truth being the one to accept. And then you had the dynamic of Drew kind of actually being concerned about his title because of R-Truth. And then in the end of the match, paying it off by believing in R-Truth and allowing him to hit the splash and getting the one, two, three to protect his title. I thought doing that booking for the match also sold the impact of the Claymore because he hit MVP with the Claymore and then like 30 seconds later, R-Truth had a splash and MVP was still dead. So it just worked for me top to bottom. Of course, I hated that the WWE Championship was on the line in a tag team match. Of course, you guys know I hated that. That is counter to everything that I believe in. But given that, they still put on an entertaining match, multiple entertaining segments. And it gave something. it gave Drew something a little bit different to do as we wait for MVP and Lashley to demand another singles match at a pay-per-view which you know is going to come next week or the week after
1: i I think my biggest problem is that it made it look like drew got goaded into doing something by r-truth who we've continually been told every week is like the dumbest character on the show but he didn't get goaded into it r-truth accepted it and he's like what the hell yeah but 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 he still convinced drew to like go along with it in that same segment well no bobby
0: lashley called him a coward and he's like shit right
1: but we, <laughs> when we we find out the truth you know later revealed that only only the one championship is on the line so it just it was very strange if 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 drew had i, I think it would have worked better if drew accepted it and he convinced our truth to go along with it i still don't like the uh, idea of i still don't like the idea of the titles being on online but i just it was weird that drew was kind of following our truth um but more than anything, again, a singles match, i mean sorry, a tag match for a singles title. Just get that out of here. It's it's I, it's, not, it's nonsense. And for, for real, I mean, in theory, you have the WWE championship on the line on Raw, and it's not the main event of the show, which we right. just talked about. So, like, it was just. It, it was it just did not fit in anything it didn't need to happen there's so uh, different ways you can do different things just it just didn't need to happen i feel like you could have come up with something better to do something with these guys for the day i agree that it was unnecessary
0: like maybe it should have been a number 1 contender match or something like that they could have they could have figured something else out but i will disagree in terms of the execution of if that was a heel if drew mcintyre was a heel and that happened then, yes, he would go complain to management and bitch and moan about it and yell at the person and, you know, say, you better do this or else I'm going to get you fired or whatever the case might be. But Drew McIntyre is a a fighting face champion. You have to remember, he defended after he beat
1: Brock Lesnar against Big Show at WrestleMania, right? Right. So and I, is, and, I li- and I like that. But it was our truth who came up with the idea.
0: I'm just that, saying that's my problem.
1: Well, no, no, it was. No, that's not
0: true. It was MVP who came up with the idea. Why don't you guys put those titles on the line? and R-Truth accepted it. Yeah, I'm sorry, that, that's so, what I mean, yeah. So, so again, he, yeah. it was stupid, it was stupid. I'm not defending the booking, I'm not defending the WWE title, being on the line in a tag team match, I'm not defending any of that. I'm just saying it was not out of character for him to once R-Truth accepted it, and then he got the pressure from the bully, bullies in this case, Bobby Lashley and MVP, you're not gonna have the face champion say, no, I'm not gonna live up to that. So, So in booking, it made sense, and Drew being on top of Truth backstage, Telling him how important it was, having our truth say, "Dude, no one believes in me. They all think I'm a joke," and McIntyre kind of building him up in that regard. That's a good guy move. So I-, I didn't like the booking of the the title being on the line in the match, but everything else they did surrounding it, I thought, made booking kayfabe sense. That's what right.
1: I'm trying to get. We-, we need to disagree because I okay. I was I was taken aback when I saw it live. That Truth accepted it, and and Drew was uncertain that, that we, we didn't we haven't seen that type of eh, I'm not sure if I want to do this fight uncertainty from Drew and and maybe it's because of what happened to him on Sunday night and he realized he got his ass kicked and almost lost well it's because R-Truth could get pinned and he could lose the title that's right what right but I'm right so I'm saying he was uncertain it was just it was a, it was it was something we hadn't quite seen from Drew and maybe that's fine but it just it, it didn't it just didn't quite work for me okay that's fair Someone else who kind of
0: agrees is Jordan at won't do the job. He said, WWE has no respect for its championships. Why as a fan should I care? The WWE championship should never be defended in a tag team match. Agreed. McIntyre was restoring my respect for the title, but tonight tarnished it again. Uh, I agree it was bad booking. It did not tarnish my respect for the title. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the The execution of the Bobby Lashley Lana split up, which also happened Monday. I thought it was pretty good. It was nothing special by any means. I think MVP has done a really good job being a splinter between them, helping Lashley kind of see the light, so to speak. And somehow this, what we saw on Monday, both in the ring and backstage with Natty, we'll talk about that in a second. I think this was Lana's best speaking role ever. It She wasn't whining and complaining and screaming. She made sense. Um, I don't know what, you expect or what she would have expected in kayfabe when she basically says to bobby lashley well maybe i should have been banging a different guy and lashley then says i want a divorce and samoa joe by the way pops in with she's whack she's racking up quite a roster which is a great great line um but i think you know it seems like they're using this to maybe go with a natalia lana tag team i thought they were doing it to write lana off of the show completely that this was how she was going to go and they were going to then fire her and she would be with Rusev or wherever he ends up going. But it seems like they actually have plans for her.
1: Yeah, that was the most stunning part is that they moved on from something and appear to have plans for something else. We don't often see that, especially in the same episode. You kind of lose right. faith that they have plans. But uh, also, I th- think MVP called her a, a, a thought. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, yeah, a well executed promo segment and. Uh, a a, a good ending to something we kind of wanted to end for a while. So, uh, you know, I've I've expressed a lot of concern on here about my concern about their ability to end and move on from stories. But so far as it relates to Bobby and Lana, they appear to be doing a uh, a good job with that.
0: Yeah. And I I just I I just got to give her credit because I criticize her so much. But when someone does something good, you know, you got to say it. Her promo was good. Her acting backstage was solid with Natalia.
1: Yeah, I, I think I have long, I think, given her more credit as a promo than other people. I know she's whiny and it can get annoying. She repeats herself all the time. It she does, but, but where she it, is. it yeah. does. But it doesn't feel like she's reading off of something. She's not speaking in sarcasm like so many promos True. are. True. So I, I have generally found her interesting enough on the mic. Not that it's, you know, obviously tremendous work or anything, but I've always thought she's a little bit better than maybe she's gotten credit for it. You know, she's been doing acting. She's in some movies and stuff like that. And, and maybe that's that's paying off on the mic. It was also another strong night for MVP.
0: Uh, trying to recruit Apollo Cruz, he criticized the backstage interviewer. I don't know her name. She's the new one, the blonde, uh, and it's basically telling her to go back to journalism school. And then they they actually did this on social media. Uh, but he is now trying to recruit Shelton Benjamin, promising him that if Shelton basically goes with him, he'll get him another U.S. He'll get him another match against Apollo Cruz, but this time for the United States Championship. So. I thought that was really good stuff from MVP. And then just to kind of put it forward, we'll talk about Apollo Crews also, and then you can re- uh, reply here. We finally got to fully hear Apollo Crews entrance music, his new one. I thought it was really good. It's a remix of his old theme. And then they put lyrics on top of that. I want to hear a clear copy. I hope they upload it to YouTube soon. But I really enjoyed it because I liked his old theme. So anytime you give someone lyrics and you you juice them up a little bit, like with Braun Strowman juicing up that entrance, it tells you, hey, we're trying to do something with this guy. Um, And I loved the finish to that match. I'm not not even exaggerating. Loved the finish to that match because it was a true turnabout is fair play type of move. You never see a face grab the ropes like that. But Shelton tried to do it, put his feet on the ropes and failed. So Apollo Crews did it. And then he's screaming at him, you got got, you got got. I I just loved it. I thought it showed character from him. It was something different that you don't normally see from
1: faces. And I thought Apollo Crews, MVP, all of them did a great job. Yeah, I, I usually don't like when a, a, a face will cheat to win, even if the heel did the same thing. But I like that he owned it. Like you, you got to lean into that and be like and take pride in what you did and make that part of the character. And that that's why it worked because it was further character development. It's better than him trying to like sneak cheat and get the win and be like, oh, what you talking about? I won fair and square. No, lean into it. Talk, talk your shit after you get the win. And yeah, and I, I still, you're right, cannot hear Cruz's music. The audio for everybody's themes in that studio is not really working. I don't know if yeah. they should play it over the just over everything else. Directly, um, like directly. Yeah, the yeah. Thing. Just yeah. play it directly into the thing so we can hear because I still can't make out what Cruz's theme is. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was it was MVP. Every time he's on my screen, he's got my attention all the time. He continues to kill it. I've been trying for weeks to get MVP as an interview for this podcast, just
0: to kind of break the fourth wall a little bit. I do hope sooner than later we get him. And if we do, uh, we'll hear hopefully a great interview with MVP, but we'll see. I keep trying. I keep getting rejected, but we will not stop. All right. That is the main event. So an hour long main event with five topics. That's a record here for getting over on the 40th episode. But there's a lot of other stuff that went down. We're going to go through it relatively quickly um, before we get out of here. We're also, by the way, at the end of the show, going to preview what's upcoming on AEW and NXT on Wednesday night. Uh, Let's talk Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio. Chris, does Dominic Mysterio
1: have it? Yeah, I, I want to see Dominic in the ring, man. He is—he looked good. He was uh, running around, moving quick. Looked like a natural in the he ring, and, and even more than we've seen him, you know, with the Brock stuff and other stuff in the past, he suddenly looks like like um, uh, he can move. And you know, Seth was talking about Dominic being there, and it kind of seemed to be heading in the direction that you predicted a couple weeks ago, and maybe it still will. But um, I-, I-, I liked it. I after seeing. I want to see a lot more Dominic after what I saw the last couple of weeks with the the promo we cut in the video a couple of weeks ago. And and now what he's doing in the ring here. I have no idea if Dominic is training or going to train. A wrestler. Okay. He, yeah. wrestler OK, yeah, because he seems to have it. A lot of
0: what um, people said Ray Mysterio's motivation was for returning to WWE as opposed to staying with like New Japan and maybe working with Ring of Honor or whatever he was going to do was Dominic in the PC wanting to be around him, training him, helping him. He is training to be a wrestler. That is the goal. Uh, I don't think, though, he is a performance center person. I I think he's training with his dad in California or wherever they live, but or maybe it's Arizona. I forgot exactly where they live. But yeah, I I just I I couched the question that way because I couldn't get over it. He delivered completely. He was fast and athletic. He seemed to do Everything's safe and correctly. He looked like his dad times two size wise in the <laughs> ring. And granted, yeah, the guy's like in his 20s. So of course he's going to be super athletic and fast, but he's a big ass dude, man. And he moved swiftly. The chase around the ring was also awesome. Like no screw ups there. There was no like, you know, sometimes they chase and like they get too close and then they have to
1: I mean, it's always possible they something happened and they had to since this wasn't maybe a okay, maybe, but, but I don't care their way. I, I it, don't work. care. But, yeah, yeah. What was delivered to me, what I saw
0: was a really like a guy who was really smart and adept at getting in and out, running around the ring, attacking, throwing someone into the steps properly, um, diving or jumping off the ring apron and landing well and then keep moving. And the way he kind of ran out of the crowd, but was smart and didn't run out. With his back to the people, but turned around to taunt. That's wrestling. That's yep. like really good stuff. And I gotta give credit to Ray Mysterio also because the back and forth with Seth Rollins was great. But Ray also kept it kayfabe on social media and posted a text message conversation he presumably had with Dominic, and it was it felt real because the font was big and Ray's older. You know how like older people use the big font on iPhones. <laughs> so, uh, but it was of him basically begging Dominic in English and Spanish. He, he like searching for him, where are you? I can't find you in the house. Then Dominic saying I'm on a plane to the performance center and Ray begging him to come home and telling him not to do it. So it felt so real and organic. It was one of the best segments of the night. And man, I think I'm gonna mark out for Dominic Mysterio going forward. Like I wanna see a lot more from this kid.
1: Yeah, me too. And 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 if you know, if he ends up becoming a disciple or something, like like you've like you fantasy booked a few weeks ago. Um I'm excited to see where that will go. I, I think this was a feud. We didn't have anything at Backlash, and I, I think that's fine. Um, they've been kind of slow playing this out, and it's it's been pretty good so far. Now, we did talk about Jeff Hardy and Sheamus at
0: Backlash, but we didn't talk about the actual go-home show. What happened on SmackDown. So really quick, um, people said that ahead of that segment airing that it was distasteful and disgusting and over the line and whatever. I got to be honest. You can think whatever you wanted About the DUI storyline and all that, and if you didn't like it, I will not argue with you about it. This I will argue. I had zero problem with it. I think it's always funny to get a to see a heel get some type of comeuppance, and the line, you know, "Hey, pissed off, pissed on," it worked. Seamus sold it great. Uh, I just thought it was a really fun opening segment.
1: I had zero issue with it. My only issue was Jeff Hardy needs to drink. Jeff Hardy (laughs) needs to drink some water. And also, that was like a half gallon. Like, (laughs) man, how much was he holding it? And it's, I, I, it's still
0: wrestling wrestling at the end of the day.
1: You know, they did the same thing like 10 years ago, I guess, with McMahon and Shawn Michaels. I wasn't watching wrestling at the time. So I know some people didn't like that it was essentially a repeat of the same thing. And apparently, back then, 10 years ago, it was the same thing with essentially looked like a half gallon of apple juice. Um, But uh, I mean, you're you're right. The DUI thing we've talked about that plenty. But in terms of how it played out as a go home, I mean, it was a heel. Trying to be a heel and the, the face getting it back up on him. So, you know, it was what it was.
0: Yeah, you're right. It was a comically large amount of, of urine, but that was the point. But yes,
1: uh, like uh, for an athlete
0: who should be probably drinking a lot of water since he's sober and trying to, you know, stay hydrated, um, it should probably have been a little clearer or a little light, light yellow. So I did think that was funny. But other than that, anyone that said that segment was bad and tried to get like the internet to hate it before it even aired, just totally ridiculous. Uh, I think people are going to be big mad about Liv Morgan returning to TV and then eating a loss from the Iconics. But again, just something that didn't bother me. There's more important things to get upset about in wrestling we already have on this show. Uh, Her hot tag from Natalia was fantastic. She showed great work in the ring. I think every time we see her in the ring, she's better than she was the time before. Her losing was entirely Natalia's fault in kayfabe uh, because she got Natalia kind of ran in, got thrown out of the ring. Then and then Liv Morgan got basically pinned by the Iconics, and they didn't let it go. So they didn't just have Liv Morgan lose and then kind of say, "Oh well." They had Natalia kind of berate her backstage a little bit, and you know that to me says that Liv is primed for some come up comeuppance on her own against Natalia or Lana or both of them or who knows what they're going to do. So I, I just I, I don't hold her. I don't harbor resentment when someone just loses a match. I don't think she's getting buried and.
1: I think they gave her a good amount of face time and let her get over in the ring. So w- when that match ended, I was like, I was kind of just bled on it. And, and you know, it, it had been speaking, you know, this was on Heyman. You know, we, we saw some Liv Morgan promos and then we kind of didn't. And then she loses a match here. You kind of right. feel like maybe they're pulling the plug in this. And I was like, this was, this has been pointless. But they did have a follow up to it. And, and it kind of goes back to the Lana thing, too, which, it, which was kind of in the whole same thing. So it made me think that, OK, maybe they do still have a plan here for live. And that's all I needed to, to know that they still have a, a plan, something moving forward. The, the the backstage stuff after the match was that for me. So I kind of my feelings on the match have changed now because I, I thought they were just pulling the plug on this whole thing. And it appears or not. So I'm still interested to see if it goes somewhere.
0: It was also a necessary plot device because you needed to get the Iconics a win so they could cut that promo. Yeah. And and I thought it was gr- the Iconics. Since they've come back, this is something else I said. I I liked them in NXT. I found them immensely annoying on SmackDown. I just, I know that was the gimmick, but it was to the point where I didn't want to see them on TV and it bothered me every time they were out. But that has completely changed for me on Raw since they've come back from their extended layoff, which was totally just due to booking. They were both healthy. But I loved them demanding another match. They handled the promo extremely well. I enjoyed very much that they came back out later when Bayley and Sasha Banks we in the ring. Of course, they also cut the video promo on SmackDown. That was that was prior to the pay-per-view. Um, so it seems like they're trying to get a one-on-one match with Bailey and Sasha Banks for a Raw, you know, coming soon. I believe next week is what they promoted. Uh, so now you have Bailey and Sasha Banks on NXT on Wednesday, and now you're gonna have them on Raw defending the titles both times. The iconics struck first. Um, I just I-, I loved it. I loved the iconics, I think they're doing a great job. And Bayley and Sasha Banks, I don't think we need to talk too much about them because I, I brag about that, not brag, I uh, praise them every single week, but they they continue to do a great job as well.
1: Yeah, I, I love what the Iconics have been doing. I love, love Bayley and Sasha. The only thing is I think this kind of highlights the problem with not having many women's tag teams is that if, if the Iconics are essentially, this is what their third or fourth title match in, in, a, in, a, in a month yeah. plus. it's kind of the only story they have with the women's tag belts right now is everybody is just Bailey and Sasha defending them now over and over. They're going to defend like three times in a week or something like that. That seems to be the only path they have right now. So we need to figure out something else to do or or, or different ways to get to those championship matches because um, there's just not a lot of teams. So you kind of figure out, you got to figure out some different things you can do with them.
0: Yeah. They have three women's tag teams. So, so a title has a title division has three total people that can compete for it. And it's the same issue with Raw tag teams right now. SmackDown, le- not as much their fault. We'll get to that in a second with the Usos and some other people. But you, when you have a division, comp- you need multiple people who can challenge for the title. And the world titles and the, the mid-card titles on both shows, they have plenty of people. But right now, due to some people not being used, not showing up for one reason or the other, um, they're lacking. So like, they got to start getting Carmella and Dana Brooke involved. They got to get... Ruby Riot and Bianca Belair, and they got to start setting up some tag teams with people. And maybe WWE should kind of figure something out where the women partner up and they all are involved in a tag team. And when they're not in the singles title picture, they're competing as that tag team. But when they are in the singles title picture, they compete on their own. But that way, there's always a default to, to go back to. But they got to figure something out regarding that. DM slide from Not Keith Lee at Ron Will ninety six. Hey Silver King, wanted to know how do you feel about Bailey? She she's my favorite female heel, and I think she's doing a great job during the quarantine. Can't wait for her and Sasha at Summerslam. Yeah, I mean I just wanted to read this because I know that you've written in a few times and you kind of deserve to get on air. But I've said it. Um, I think MVP of quarantine era is Oscar, especially for the women. But Bailey is a strong number two, and really Bailey's been doing strong heel work since like February. So just top notch for her, Uh, she's absolutely killing it. This is the best run of her career. I kind of said that Sasha Banks, despite not being a champion, she's kind of in the best run of her career as well. So I don't know what's gonna happen at SummerSlam, whether they're gonna fight, whether WWE is somehow gonna get a crowd in Boston and they're actually gonna do a show on the road or maybe in the PC, but man, they deserve it all. That singles match between them really deserves a crowd. It deserves a lot of hype. Uh, A big time storyline, which they're seemingly working towards. It seems like they're extending it personally, Um, but I want to see it blow up and I want to see Sasha be champion. On the other side, though, Chris, with Raw, I hate the Raw women's uh, title storyline right now, and I hate that Nia Jax continues to be involved to this degree. First, they do the unnecessary double count out at a pay-per-view. Then they have Nia Jax push a veteran official and he gets back at her, shoving him by doing a fast count. Zero point zero. If it was a rookie official, I could see it in that match. But to have John Cone do that, it just did not really sit right to me. It feels like they're clearly dragging it along for an extreme rules, no DQ, no count out type of match.
1: But I just have to believe there's smarter ways to do this. Right. Like, you don't, you don't need to set it up like this. You don't need to do a double count out. You don't need to do a, a weird ref thing. Like it's just it's so many of these women's wrestling tropes that WWE leans uh le- finishes that they lean on so many times. Distraction roll up or uh, or a count out. On. Not only this, but it was a week ago or so when Asuka got counted out of her match because Naya walked down the ramp. Like there's just they cannot figure out how to finish a Naya Jack's Asuka match normally without it apparently torpedoing one or the other. Like just have a clean finish and like play into it and do something from that. It's just this is late. It's lazy. It's lazy. This is booking. this was this was to me the
0: clearest Bruce Prichard booking versus Paul Heyman. This and and backlash. There was a report that before backlash began, the plan was for Oscar to win clean and move forward with a different storyline. It is clear Prichard booking and Vince McMahon booking to have a double count out on a pay per view and then a ref fast count on Raw and stretch a storyline that does not want to be stretched, that fans don't want to see stretched going forward. So to me, um, that's exactly what it was. This was an emblematic Pritchard move. I believe last year on the show, Black Sabre Jr., he says, how much better would things be if we could just replace Nia Jax with Raquel Gonzalez? I think they'd be better, yeah. And I don't really know that there's more to say about that. Do you have anything to say? No. Okay. We also had a tweet from Oscar, by the way, that was pretty great. She tweeted at my level. I'm not going to be injured like everyone else is concerned about. It's Oscar quality exclamation point. <laughs> she was replying to uh, a tweet that showed Nia Jax power slamming her, not not power slamming, um, power bombing her outside the ring. So I thought that was cute and funny. Um, We know we did say that Andrade could go down one or two paths after the US title feud came to a head, either go into the main event or move into the tag team picture. And it does seem pretty clear that we're headed towards the tag team picture, which is how you and I were both leaning, or at least how I was leaning alongside Angel Garza. I've said it again, the Raw tag team picture is insanely weak. I do think they will be a good addition. And I like the story they told on Raw with Zelina Vega getting fed up with Garza, number one, flirting with Chuck, and then basically getting fed up with Andrade kind of interfering in the match by coming down to the ring. Her leaving Angel Garza at ringside and basically saying, you guys when since they were arguing outside the ring, you guys go fend for yourselves. Garza losing to Kevin Owens. And now you have them basically, it seems like they're going to beg her to take them back as a team learning to work together. Otherwise, it's not going to work at all. So I just thought it was a smart way to make them seemingly come apart, but then come together and as Lena Vega, be the one to get them together and reestablish herself as the manager in control of these two.
1: Yeah, we just think, can't. we just need to see if that holds. That's a brace to a breakup after a couple of weeks. That's that's my question.
0: And speaking of all the tag team tag team stuff, it does look like it did look like the Forgotten Sons were set to get a push on SmackDown, but Jackson Riker's tweet, which came out you know supporting Trump, seems to have derailed that entire thing. He took a lot of heat. Uh, you your political leanings will tell you whether that's deserved or not. But for a locker room that uh, includes a lot of African American men and women, and you know the tweet that was tweeted was during a time where the racial unrest was uh spiking in a major way. This wasn't this week, it was a couple of weeks ago for him to send that. Uh even his teammates, the other two members of Forgotten Sons basically came out and admonished him and said he does not speak for the team. So they had Shinsuke Nakamura and Cesaro went on SmackDown. Uh it seems to me like they're going to be stand-ins the number one contenders going forward. But it just goes to show you the Usos are injured, AOP is injured. Um This Forgotten Sons just recently called up, now basically jettisoned. We'll see what happens with them long-term. Raw, we already know about how bad things are there. The the tag team picture with Revival leaving, it is as bad as it's been in a long time, despite them still having talented dudes. They have to figure something out for tag team wrestling on Raw and SmackDown.
1: Uh, Maybe that involves more ninjas.
0: It better not involve ninjas. And, And by the way, the issue is not Raw and SmackDown alone. It's NXT as well. They, they have basically no tag teams on there. It's, yeah. it's just, I don't know what happened. They they had, they had were so freaking strong. Miz and Morrison were there. All this stuff. They aren't using Miz and Morrison as a team. Usos hurt. AOP hurt. I do know what happened. I'm breaking it down for you. But, but, <laughs> uh, but they got to figure it out and they got to replenish these divisions. They have so many people on these rosters. Create new tag teams. Bring back what happened to Ricochet and Cedric Alexander, by the way. Like, why aren't they back on Raw competing in the tag team division? Um... It's just uneven. They got to figure something out. They got to make it work.
1: Okay, like 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 we we Go didn't ahead. need another Oscar Nia Jax non finish or weird finish on a Raw. Like replace that with a tag team match to build some more. Like I don't know. There were a lot. I mean, there were a lot of championship matches on Raw that just didn't need to be that case. Just to add stakes when you know there's not going to be a title change.
0: Yeah, they they got to figure something out on these shows. It's it's really just starting to kind of gnaw at me. Um, okay, so that's it. That's WWE. Let's talk about really quick what's up next before we get out of here. Try to see if we can keep it under 90 minutes. AEW, I'm going to throw it to you, Chris. Let me run down the card for you. You tell me what you think about what's coming up. The tag team titles are on the line Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against the Natural Nightmares. We also have the Young Bucks in their first TV match in a long time against the Super Bad Squad. Les Sex Gods against the Best Friends, who are putting their number one contendership at Fighter Fest. On the line, we also have MJF versus Billy in a singles match and Cody defending his TNT championship in an open challenge, which we always knew he was going to come around to that John Cena type of booking and start doing the open challenges. But uh, that is the five segment lineup for AEW Dynamite to me
1: seems pretty strong, but I do have issues with it. What do you think? Well, you want to talk about tag team wrestling. If if, yeah. if you want tag team wrestling, you watch AEW Dynamite on Wednesday nights. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited for a lot of that. I think that they've done a good job of planning ahead for like putting a number one contendership on the line. I think it's a great stipulation that doesn't get used enough. It's an easy way to add stakes and and and, and, and work, move stories forward. So um, I, I like Jericho and Sammy Guevara together. I generally like all these. Tag teams working together. So I'm I'm I think it'll be a solid show. There's nothing like uh major happening. I know the ratings last week were, were pretty close. Uh, but I still like I I, I like Dynamite last week. I think the open challenge works. I'm curious if Cody's gonna be the main event again concerning what, what's been going on. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess maybe they put the Young Bucks in there some, but no, I sco-
0: they they have to put the tag team title match in the main event.
1: They should.
0: No, that's right, that's right. You're right. They right, should. Right. I don't know yeah. if they will, but they should.
1: Well. I don't know. I don't. I, I guess that's one of my questions is the order of the matches. But there, there's nothing unless there's a title change. There's nothing major going on. So I'm curious if their are larger stories uh, advance in any way. I will say that I've I got to disagree with
0: you. And I'm well, all well. right. First, let me agree with you. The AEW tag team picture is incredible. And that's including people that aren't even there. Like Pentagon's not there. So you're not seeing him with Phoenix. And obviously they had just started the trio with Pac, the uh, something triangle. I forgot what it was called. Um but so their tag division is incredible. It is by far number one in North America. Not a question. It's, it's number one in the world, I would say. Best tag team division in wrestling. Um, that's not to say anything about the women's division and some other things that are happening there. But forgetting all of that, I have a major issue with these tag team matches. Uh, Young Buck super bad. That's fine. You, you do that. But they talk about the rankings and how much the rankings matter and who gets tag team title opportunities and number one contenderships. The Best Friends won the number one contendership. And I get it's a pay-per-view number one contendership, and they're doing it on Fighter Fest, which is just a special episode of Dynamite, so it's not even a pay-per-view. But they've ha- already had another tag team title match, Omega and Page. Now they're having a second one with the Natural Nightmares. And now the number one contendership that was booked for the pay-per-view or whatever, quote-unquote, is now on the line against Less Sex Gods. So what do the rankings really mean? If you have to win That's number fair. If you have to win number one contendership matches, and even when you win them, you have other people challenged for the titles ahead of you, and then your number one contendership still goes up on the line, the rankings are just an absolute joke. You have MJF, who's been in the number one spot, basically, or, or, or number two, number three spot in the men's rankings, undefeated. He can't even get a TNT title shot. I know it's a storyline, but he can't get that. He can't get an opportunity at Moxley. Meanwhile, Cage comes in, wins a, a coin, gets it. What's his name? Brody Lee just says, Hey, I want to challenge you. Moxley accepts it. The rankings don't work for me. I know they tried it. They said they were going to be sports centric. They're not. It's a, it's a normal wrestling promotion and this just proves it. And I have no issue with that. Just don't say you're something and then be something else. That's all I'm saying.
1: I, I have no problem with winning a number one contendership for something that's weeks away and that there are other, there are other title defenses in that span. Cause in, in in my mind, it's it's you're you're getting more time to prepare for a match and, and and scout for your opponent your opponent or potential opponents if we want to keep it in in K-fair. Not if I, it changes to... one week. Bef- not if it changes one week before and no but, the- was, no, but there's still you can play off. You can watch the film of that match and see how that goes or whatever. If you want to play down that route, I do think it is a bit too much when you have the number one contendership and the tag team match on the line. I also. As it relates to the rankings, I agree they're not following it the right way. I do also wonder if the limited roster as it relates to the pandemic and everything going on, has kind of changed the way they may use it. But either if you're going to have it and you're going to emphasize, it, you got to do stuff like that. And I think MJF has even made some comments on Twitter about it. And I think Tony Khan replied to him or something about why he's uh, about how this all works. So it, it's it's certainly on their mind. And I think they got to be well, Tony careful with the details. Tony
0: always has an answer for it, but the answers are just, in my opinion, they're not good. Yeah, that, like like you said, they're the number one contendership for the pay per view, but that doesn't mean there can't be other number one contenders in between. And it does; there can be other challengers, but it, they're the number one contender is something that is earned or deserved. And when you have that, the other people are just challengers for the title. So, look, I, look, people will take this as me hating on AEW. I don't. I think this card is really stacked. I'm excited for Dynamite on Wednesday. I'm still going to watch NXT live, but, but nevertheless, I, you have to admit when there's legitimate issues. And to me, this is a legitimate issue. All right, we got to get out of here. Uh, NXT, the women's tag team titles on the line, Bailey and Sasha Banks, defending against Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox. I am really excited for this match. I think it's going to be immensely entertaining. We also have the tag team titles on the line, the men's Imperium defending against Brizango. While I loved... Brissango's vignette last week. I thought it did a lot of good for them as a team long-term in NXT. Not excited for this match. Anything but Imperium retaining would be shocking. And honestly, Bayley and Bank should retain as well. We also get an appearance from Io Shirai. But again, this goes to you talking about WWE promoting NXT. I say it all the time. You gotta promote a stacked card or at least promote a card, a full card going up against AEW this week better than most. But nevertheless, I want a little bit more. I did think they did a good job on Raw promoting two times that Bailey and Sasha Banks would be on NXT. That was solid, but they need to do that type of promotion for NXT every single week on Raw. Okay, absolutely loaded WWE episode of Getting Over Here. Chris Vanini joining me. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. If you did not already hear our instant analysis, for WWE Backlash, which is something I should have said at the start of the show. I gotta remember to start doing that. Head on over to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to wrestling audio and check out our Backlash Infinite Analysis, our second most listened to episode in the history of this podcast. Number one was the WrestleMania Instant Analysis. So really good stuff. I appreciate all you guys being so dedicated to the show. So dedicated in fact, that now that the show is over, you're gonna go over to Apple Podcasts. You're not just gonna listen to Instant Analysis if you missed it. You're gonna leave a five star rating and review and you're gonna tell us everything you love about your favorite wrestling podcast, Getting Over. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Getting Over. Chris, great having you. Say, I'm going to say goodbye to you, but there's one more person that needs to say goodbye to our audience. Elizabeth, come on out here, oh, man. I mean, we got something going that's oh, really big, mercy. don't we? Yeah.
1: Look in the video scope right now and tell him about macho madness. Tell him how strong it is, and tell him where we're going. Yeah. We into the twilight zone, yeah. And how yeah. hogan has got no chance, does he? No. no. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man radio
0: seven? Am I the greatest wrestler,
1: past, present, and future that ever lived? Yes, you are. Okay, now, say goodbye. Say goodbye. So goodbye. Okay, now get out of here. Oh, that's right a little now. rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling was a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the
0: number one wrestler in the world today. Tell Hulk Hogan that. I will. Thank you, Randy Savage. Thank you all for listening. Bye for now.